For the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wanted to give a little homily of encouragement because we've entered, uh, as it's proverbially called, the dog days of summer. And for many of us in normal years, this means sort of a, a letting go of things and sometimes a letting go of the practice of our faith a little bit. But especially in this year when we've had so many months of being under the oppression that we've experienced, the suffocating weight upon us of all the restrictions, I don't say that to incite you, I say that to really express what we're feeling. After these many months of this, the spiritual life feels more and more like a slog. I just was reading um, C.S. Lewis to the, the boys, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And so I had that thought in my head, that image of sailing. Many of you may know this, this book. But the, the journey is the journey of a ship, the Dawn Treader. And it's going out to the end of the, the known world. And I think of those people on the ship thinking, when will we get there? When will this end? What we're experiencing right now, when will this end? Sometimes when we're enduring struggles of life, we think back on how things were before and hope for their return. Does this apply to any of us? Hoping for the return of things as they were. It's like we've been out at sea for a long time and we were wishing we were back home, longing for our return. In that image, the voyage is circular. You go out to your goal and then you return home. But that's not our journey. Our journey is not one of going out to something and coming back to something. Our journey, like the Dawn Treader, if you've read that, just continues forward. Continues forward. And so it is a danger for us to be thinking about the things of the past. A danger for us to be thinking about what should come back and how things should be again. It's a danger. You need to be like Reepicheep, who just keeps thinking about the end, and going there, and going forward, and going forward, on and on. What is necessary is for us to look forward to our ultimate destination. The struggles, like the present ones, challenge us to ask, what is my goal? What is my destination? Is my goal to have things return to what they were so that I can go back to my merry way, to the life that I had before? Is that ultimately my goal? Our goal indeed is being in communion with God. We know this to be our goal because we're Orthodox Christians. We know that our goal is to be in communion with God so that our eternal communion with God and his eternal kingdom will be full and joyous. This is our goal. But in a time like the struggle right now, I realize how much that often is not actually my goal. How often my goal isn't actually communion with God, it's other things. And even when I'm going to church regularly and everything is normal and I have all of my normal things, 
I may not actually be doing much in my desire to have communion for God. But the good news, the encouragement, is that in times of struggle, we must remember that this is God's goal. God's goal is communion with us, union with us. And so our loving God allows these trials in our lives. Why? So that he can draw us closer to him. This is why we have struggles in life. Period. End stop. This is why we have struggles in life. Because, of course, we know God could fix all things. He could make everything right. He could make everything better. And yet he doesn't. Because he knows this is what we need to be drawn closer to him. I've been reading a wonderful book by Archimandrite Vasilios of Iveron. And this book, uh, Archimandrite Vasilios, he was a spiritual child of St. Paisios. And then he went and, uh, with the guidance of St. Paisios, became the abbot of Stavromikita Monastery on Monathos. And then after many years being there, he was asked to become the abbot of Iveron Monastery, also on Monathos. And he's been the abbot there for many years. Our commandrite Vasilio says this, A tree does not bear fruit if it remains unpruned. It won't bear fruit unless someone trims it. It will only give fruit if it is pruned, if it is cut. So when a trial, a failure, a problem occurs, we, must, we have to realize that this is the action of the gardener. Who is doing it for our own good? That imagery makes us think of the epistle today. The epistle today says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We know that verse very well. But if you think about fruit, when we hear that verse, we think of it as these gifts that are just given by the Holy Spirit. But it's not so. Fruit comes from cultivation. Yes, these are gifts of the Spirit, and they're given by God, but they're not just given arbitrarily. They're not just handed out at random. Rather, God gives these to those who cultivate their tree, the tree of their own soul. I'll continue with our commander at Vasilios. He says, we, we actually say glory to God even more for those people who hurt us and those situations which can cause us suffering because we understand after the fact what the Lord says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and my Father is the vine dresser. Therefore, all things are directed and ordered by this divine husbandman, the vine dresser, who is God. In times of struggle, peace comes from humbly submitting ourselves to the circumstances of our life. When we're in struggle, when we humbly submit ourselves to these struggles, this is when we join ourselves in union to God's will. This is when his will is becomes more manifest in our lives. And we can choose to make his will our will. And that union of the wills, this is ultimately what our communion with God is all about. I'll continue with our commander at Vasilios. He says, when you truly say, thy will be done, you have found rest. All problems have been solved. This requires a boldness of faith and a sacrifice of love. Thus you become part of the vine, you become centered in the vine, 
You are fed by the juices of the vine of life. You are nourished by the very Spirit in the life of Christ, the one who himself concluded, Thy will be done. Thus, in this way, even though we are in the world, we realize that despite our weakness, there is someone who loves us, and the problems of life are not solved by our own logic, but by entrusting everything to Christ God. That which we say so often in church, commemorating our most holy, pure, blessed, and glorious Lady, the Theotokos, and ever-Virgin Mary with all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another and our whole life to Christ our God. That's the end of his quote. How often do we say this in the liturgies, in the services of the church? And that part, we've already said it three times in this liturgy. Let us commend ourselves and one another and our whole life to Christ our God. It is in the times of struggles that this really becomes real. Because in times of ease, times of goodness, times of joy, we wouldn't even talk about, oh, do God's will. Because it's like the thing right in front of us is the thing we want and that everything works out fine. It's only in the times of struggle when we're really asked that question. We're truly challenged with that. What we need now more than ever, in these dog days and the months of the coronavirus, in the unrest, the civil unrest that's in our midst, is we need boldness in our pursuit of God. My brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Remember your destination. Don't get bogged down in all the things that are pulling us away, that are causing us despair and anxiety and fear and worry and anger. Don't be pulled into these things. Remember your destination. When the various aspects of the practice of our faith have been stripped away, what ultimately remains? I think of the Romanians, Father Roman Braga, Father George Calcio, who were in solitary confinement, in spaces that were barely larger than their body for months. We would all go crazy. They had no communion. They had no worship services. They had no seasons of fasting and feasting. They had no icons. They had no Bibles. Everything was stripped away. And we're experiencing a little taste of that right now. I also think of St. Athanasius of, of Athos, who we commemorate today. St. Athanasius was the, he's thought of as the founder of monasticism on Mount Athos. Now, monasticism had existed before, but it was on Mount Athos. But he went to the most extreme tip of Mount Athos, down by the actual peak. And he lived completely in seclusion, in really kind of a horrible location. And he actually, his temptation was, you can read about his life in the, the uh, weekly bulletin that was in your email. Uh, in in his, his struggle, his temptation was, he was thinking, maybe I shouldn't have settled here. So he decided to stay there for a year. A year of being by himself with nothing. A year. And then God revealed to him this was the location. He eventually built what's called the Great Lavra, which is the oldest monastery on Mount Athos. So we commemorate him today. So he had nothing, very little with him. And I go back to that question, 
when the various aspects of the practice of our faith have been stripped away, what ultimately remains? You know, last night we had the Vespers, and in the Vespers there were three Old Testament readings for uh, St. Athanasius of Athos. And I want to read one of them because this is one that we actually have commonly with our, our saints. And with the question in your minds, isn't this exactly what you want? So this is the reading from the Wisdom of Solomon. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torture will ever touch them. In the eyes of the undiscerning, they seem to have died, and their departure was considered to be misfortune, and their passage from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. For though in man's view they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Though chastened in a few things, great kindness will be shown them. For God tested them and found them worthy of him. He tested them like gold in a furnace and accepted them as a whole burnt offering. In the time of their visitation, they will shine forth and they will run about like sparks through straw. They will judge nations and rule over peoples and the Lord shall reign over them into the ages. Those who trust in him will understand truth and the faithful shall continue with him in love because grace and mercy are upon his elect, and he watches over his holy ones. This is what we all want. This is what we desire. So that question again, when the various aspects of our faith have been stripped away, what remains? Because this is the question that we face right now. What remains? And the answer is prayer. Again, you think of those Romanians who are locked up in confinement, or the Russians in the Gulag, or those who are persecuted under the Ottomans, or so many others, or the, the monastics like St. Athanasius of Athos. What remains always is prayer. That can't be taken away. Because what is prayer? Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is union with God. My incrimination is that when the things, the aspects of our faith are stripped away, it's revealed to me what is lacking. It's revealed to me what isn't there. That communion, that union with God. And so I try to fight against the, the harness that has been put upon us in our society right now. And I want to fight against that to get things back to normal. That's what we're all fighting for. But why? Because we're not seeking union with God, which actually hasn't been interrupted at all. Our ability to commune with God and have union with God has not been interrupted in any way, shape, or form. But the way I want it, the way that I want to experience it, has been. And for many of us, this is the incrimination when everyone was going to church regularly, receiving the body and blood of Christ regularly, this most essential and central thing, prayer, was obscured. And specifically what I mean is a personal commitment to prayer. Our own personal commitment. Our commitment to personal prayer. As we consider this, I want to talk a little bit more about what the, our personal prayer is. Why is it so important? 
Because it is our time of union with God. You think about when we come to church as being our time of union with God. And that is true as long as what? As long as we're at prayer. We can be at church and not be in prayer at all. We know this. I can be at the altar and not be in prayer. So it's prayer that makes this what it is. And even if we think of the sacraments, we're not receiving the sacraments. We're not receiving the body and blood of Christ, which is a great and powerful medicine indeed. But it's only a medicine in as much as we desire union and communion with God in our prayer. What do we do to prepare for communion? We pray. What do those prayers talk about? They talk about our desire to be united with God. Everything, everything of our life is about having union with God in prayer. But this is what is revealed to us at these times. Think of it in terms of love. In terms of our loved ones, of being near them, being with them, having time with them, talking with them, looking at them, gazing upon them. And so often how far this is from our own communion with God. But there's a starting point there. We can just stand before our icons. Look in love at God. Ask Him in your own words. Pray to Him. Because if we don't put the time in at that time, then we're not really desiring that. It's like we're on the ship just sort of floating out there going, I want to stop here. Why don't we stop there? This island is nice. Why don't we go there? We forget what our goal is. And this life before us is a drop in the bucket compared with eternity. It is. But we forget that. So in terms of participating in the online services, it's a good thing. If you can, do it. But most importantly, that you are seeking union with God in prayer. So if you have busy families and little children and you can't be at the online services, that doesn't mean that your time of communion with God has been robbed just because you can't walk in the doors of the church. It means it has to be in a different way. And in fact, that way should have been there the whole time, and now I realize it. Now I realize that this is what I really should be desiring. And maybe this isn't what I desire. And so that's something I can repent of. I can even go before the icon and say, Lord, have mercy. I don't even love you. I don't even want to be with you. I don't want to spend any time with you. Lord, have mercy. That's communion. That's union with God right there. Because remember, as St. Paul said in Romans 8, he had that beautiful passage, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it in a different way. Neither restrictions, nor pandemics, nor riots, nor judgments of others, nor anger, nor fear, nor anxiety, nor depression, nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. This is what we must remember. Our journey towards Christ never needs to have any, any interruption. And so God allows these times to say, come, come, I want you. I want you. You thought that you were pursuing me, and now when you realize you can't go to church, you have to do all these things, that that's not the case. That now I'm calling you still, 
And I still want you, and I still desire you. Come to me, Mom. Come to me, my children. So I'll offer in closing some words of consolation and encouragement, because ultimately this homily is supposed to be about encouraging us, not beating ourselves up. This is from Yeronda Ephraim of Arizona, who proposed in the Lord less than a year ago, a very saintly and holy man. And this is from a homily that he gave about 20 years ago. He says, My brave and valiant children, enlisted in the glorious army of Christ, take courage. These are the same words our Lord said, Tharsike, take courage. Let cowardice have no place with you. Never lower the banner of our Christ. Always remember, winter is bitter, but paradise is sweet. Let nothing stop our peaceful yet difficult journey toward heaven. Winds, tempests, storms, and hurricanes will break out next to us, ready to swallow up the precious pearl that we hold. Better death than desertion. Better to fight than to retreat. Do not be afraid and do not gape at the retreat of those around you. These are words for our time. I'll say that once again. Do not be afraid and do not gape at the retreat of those around you. Do not be lured by the siren songs of this world. In the midst of your infirmities and weaknesses, go forth with your gaze fixed only on the cross of our Christ. Do not cower. Do not be afraid. Take courage, my children. Unworthy though I am, I promise you that our Christ is with us. Our brothers, our older brothers, the archangels, are by our side. So may we continue to take courage and continue to keep our gaze fixed upon Christ, because nothing can stop that. Amen.